so little warmth. Let's talk about the real world for a moment, shall we? Where you're not some wonderful lone wolf hero, but you're part of a team and you play your position because that's what America is, Mr. Jeffries. It's one big team. Now, this might be difficult for you to grasp, but I am a patriot. And a patriot is one who makes the right moral choice. Sometimes it takes a strong man to make that choice. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you so much for rejoining us. What a fantastic segment uh, before with Joe Loria, Editor-in-Chief of Consortium News. Well, now, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We've got another very special guest uh, who we, we're going to talk to in a minute. His name is Michael Pike, and some people know him as Michael Spike pike uh and he is a spokesman for veterans for peace uk and uh michael is an ex uh soldier and he's also very active uh in terms of the uh, anti-war conversation as well uh and he's going to be joining us on the live link right now uh hello mike hello how are you doing i'm pretty good i'm pretty good thanks for joining us mike hey patrick and i hope hope you're you're all right and uh Mike, um, we want to talk to you. Firstly, uh, this is the first time you've been on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your background, uh, and also we want to sort of touch on a couple of stories that have uh, uh, leapt into the headlines, if you will, this week. Uh, one of them was uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the uh, paratroopers in Afghanistan. That made huge headline news about four days ago. Uh, but there's many, there's many other stories as well that I think you're going to be able to um, really give us a lot of insight on, Mike. But uh, just before we start, um, just tell us a little bit about about who, uh, yourself and uh, and your background. Yeah, well, I was in the, the 1st Battalion of Scots Guards, 1980 to 85, and uh, I was uh, done a tour of Belfast, 1981, during the time of the hunger strike. And um, I spent many, many years struggling with life when I left the military, and then I joined a thing called Veterans for Peace in 2013 to to present, and uh, that that decision to join has opened many many doors for me, many many positive doors. So yeah, yeah, that's just a a brief um, a brief bit of history. I first met you actually in Northern Ireland um, just a couple of weeks ago. We both spoke at an event in West Belfast for imperialism. Mm-hmm. On trial, and I have I have seen some of your work. Obviously, your poetry, uh, Mike, as well. Uh, you're also a performance poet, but uh, you've mm-hmm. also featured in a couple of documentary films as well. Mike. Yeah. But uh, just you tell us a little bit about some of the work you've done um, on those those films are very interesting. But also, how did it feel to go back to? Uh, had you been back to uh, West Belfast in the past before that event where we met? How, how yeah, was? Yeah, I. I... I returned to Belfast 2014. After I joined Veterans for Peace in 2013, I went to the AGM. And one of the lads on the panel was talking about the work he was doing in Belfast uh, and the north of Ireland in general. And of course, my ears pricked up. And the guy's name is Lee Lavis. And he asked at the end of his talk, was there any questions? Of course, my hand shot straight up. And I said, 
we, I want to get involved in what you're doing and uh, I want to get more involved with the peace process. And within a few months of that conversation, I was back in Belfast for the first time since 1981. And I was uh, made unbelievably welcome by mostly Republican community. You know, it's been a, it's a fantastic eye-opener. Mm-hmm. And just uh, just also give people a little bit of uh, a little bit of a, a illustration of what your your mission is. Your mission at Veterans for Peace is an organization. A lot of people will be familiar with a great activist and a great voice, uh, Ben 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 Griffin. Ben Griffin, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, was, uh, it was after I, I saw a YouTube uh, video of Ben talking at Oxford University, and I was actually applauding everything he said because uh, I just agreed with him, and then I phoned the guy and arranged to meet him, and um, joined Veterans for Peace from there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fantastic um, journey for me in the last five years. I've been back and forward to uh, Belfast, Derry, South and Mar 14 times now in the last five years, talking to people in Derry, uh, the Bloody Sunday um, movement, and um, people from the Warrington Peace Centre, and people all over Belfast, and we've also been down in South Armagh talking to the guys down there, former combatants, and um, realising that I had a great deal in common with these people. And um, you know, so in terms of uh, the military conversation, I know that you one of the big things that you talk about a lot is um, you know the the indoctrination uh, process. Uh, you know when you recruit it. Mm-hmm. Into the into the services and what that does to you as an individual. I know that's a big part of the message that you you try to get get across when you are speaking to groups. I, I, could, I could I could speak for about an hour on uh, uh, the uh, basic training in the military, but obviously time doesn't allow us. But basically, the the, the training process is very clever and very insidious. What it does to to the young. The young brain, the young developing brain, is that they um, they teach you to obey orders without question. They, they 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 encourage you to use the back of the brain and not the front of the brain. You know, the front of the brain, which is one of reason and compassion and humanity, and the back of the brain is just fight or fight. You, um, so basically, you are encouraged to just work on instinct and um, individual thinking and socialism are frowned upon within the army you're not allowed to be a free thinker you you have to fit in with the narrative you have to be an obedient robot and uh, that's how the military get to use young people to fight basically their wars of plunder and if you want to talk about the Corbyn thing just now I mean Young men that have been indoctrinated that way, they're going to see Corbyn as the enemy. So and, and the, the military might just look at it like just a bit of a laugh. Some, yeah. some guys have, having, a, having a joke and a giggle. But it, it runs far deeper than that. Because the, basically the military is anchored to the right, functioning at times by design as a far-right organisation, where it's all about submission, obedience, violent mythology military ancestor worship just young minds brainwashed and conditioned and moulded and shaped to keep them in check so that that they're better equipped to carry out violence in pursuit of the UK foreign policy or foreign plunder as I call it and and have you have you had a chance to uh, to speak to any any uh, counterparts from 
from any other countries, from the United States, uh, from other European countries, to, to find any, is there any common ground uh, with similar organizations as, uh, as Veterans for Peace UK? Well, Veterans for Peace was started in the US in uh, 1985 by former Vietnam veterans. We've got a, a Veterans for Peace Australia, a Veterans for Peace Ireland as well, and we've even got some former Israeli combatants that are joining Veterans for Peace. I think they've got combat combatants for peace in Israel. So yeah, just young people that have managed to hang on to their humanity and saw through, I don't, I don't want to swear, obviously saw through the, the, the veneer of uh, the, the military as something great and wonderful and shiny and to be proud of. We, we really need to get away from this military worship in society because basically all the military are are accessories to the rich man's plunder and all wars are based on lies and all wars are about plunder. You know, because nobody really fights for your country. You fight for the establishment of that country. You fight for the rich man. It's always the poor guys clanking swords with each other to keep the rich rich and the royals royal. And I don't know if you've you've noticed, Mike, but uh, if you look at mainstream media, you look at print or television or or radio. In fact, even in <laughs> even some of the networks that carry our show, there will be military recruitment ads. There'll be military recruitment ads all over the media, basically. Oh God! Constant. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been fortunate enough to to talk at several schools, to talk to uh, groups of young people, a hundred plus at a time. And uh, basically telling them the truth about the military and what, why, and how not to get seduced by the message of travel or being the best or having money in your pocket. I mean, a, a disenfranchised young person will look at the military as an option to progress in life, where actually you do not progress, you digress. And um, so I've been invited to, to many schools in London and... Uh, but, you know, it's so difficult to get into schools. The schools will roll out the red carpet and encourage the military to come in because uh, the military will tick boxes for them by providing young people that maybe, you know, the, the chance of uh, full-time employment. So they're ticking boxes. And um, sometimes we are kind of frowned upon as um, snowflakes and um, lefties and tree huggers. <laughs> I'm anything but. You know, and um, this, this, what they don't mention in all these shiny parades that they have, especially Remembrance Sunday, is um, the suicide, the amount of suicides from former military personnel. I mean, it was 71 in 2018 alone. And um, I'll give you an example. The Falklands, or Maggie Thatcher's uh, early 80s election campaign, as I like to call it, she used the Falklands to keep her dead-in-the-water political career afloat. She made sure that war went right ahead. Now, more young guys have taken their own lives since that conflict than were killed during it, and that's just talking about the British personnel, not talking about Argentinian personnel. And um, not only have we got all this 71 suicides in 2018, you've also got the slow death rate, as we call it, people dying from alcoholism or drug abuse, you know. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Mr. Gavin Williamson spouting hot air about um, regarding to protecting former soldiers, i.e. soldier that was involved in uh, Bloody Sunday in 1972. Do, you, do people honestly think 
that the military give a damn about Soldier F. They certainly didn't give a damn about the 71 suicide of 2018. And if we want to talk about homelessness within uh, former service personnel, we're talking an estimated 13,000 veterans are homeless, either sleeping rough or sofa surfing. Now, let's put that in 13,000. That equates to 21 battalions of former soldiers sleeping without adequate uh, accommodation, sleeping without a roof. And then we can, we can also go to onto the prison. How many, what's the prison population amongst uh, ex-servicemen? It's about one in ten. One in ten. Wow. So we've got an estimate of about 2,500 vets doing time, and many are doing time for life. I remember doing a, a gig in the Little Hay Prison in Huntington, and um, I was in a chapel of all things, and uh, all these guys started coming in. We ended up with about 30 guys, and we're all ex-service personnel, and all of them were in for life. They did forgot to leave the killing within the, the military. So they're still trained to kill when they get out, and they had done so, and now they're serving the rest of their life in prison. And a lot of them still had the berries and the cap baggies on. Like, it was something that they had to hang on to that meant something to them. But after a, a good conversation with these guys for about an hour or so, they began to wake up and realise they had been conned. You know, and the, the suicide issue. I know. I know you probably met a lot of, uh, say, vulnerable ex-servicemen who may be just struggling with mental uh, health mm-hmm. issues. What 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 would be what what is the cause? What would be one of the main causes of uh, an individual getting to that point where because the suicide rate's quite high, Mike? Um, this, mm-hmm. this, this, yeah, yeah. You're talking well, uh, quite high. I think. Well, when you leave such an environment such as the military, because basically you're quite safe within the military. The only problem you've got is active service and getting killed. But apart from that, it's quite a safe environment. It's a very enclosed environment. Uh, um, All your bills are paid, your food's paid, it all comes off your wages before you get your pittance. And uh, so you're basically well looked after. Maybe maybe 600 guys within the battalion, many of whom you're good friends with. And then you're out... They don't untrain you. And then you're left wandering about. And the, 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 the army fill, fill you full of yourself, saying you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and all the rest of it. And if you're parading down the mall as I was in the guards and you get people screaming and looking at you. So they really build you up. And then in a stroke, you're out. You're on your own. And it's that feeling of isolation, I think, that gets a great many a great many young person when they, when they leave the military, they don't know how to cope. They're all, all of a sudden they're on their own. You know, as much as the army uh, boasts about making you tough and making you be able to handle things, it doesn't it doesn't um, make you handle things, just normal things in civilian life like job interviews or paying bills or cutting, controlling your alcohol consumption, you know, you're all of a sudden you're just on your own and you get angrier and you get um, more and more deeper and deeper into depression. I think I, I went through it for about 20 odd years, this uh, in and out of the the black moods and the depression. And I would, within five years of leaving the military, I very nearly went to prison for an act of violence because I was a very violent individual. I was taught to be, you know. I mean, you leave the military... You've still got that 
eggs about you, that arrogance about you. And when, when you're dealing with civilian authority, you just look at it with contempt because you've got that awful arrogance about you that I'm an ex-soldier, I want respect. The, the, the world doesn't owe you anything. So when you're confronted with uh, civilian authority and civilian jobs, uh, it tends to leave you a bit cold. And I've had about 50 jobs since I left the military because the words shove your job up your jacksie come too easy to me, you know. So I've been a taxi driver for many, many years because that job suits my temperament. You know, so I would say isolation is the main cause of people breaking down. Yeah, and, and I would imagine, Mike, you know, you, you, you put yourself out there and, you know, I, I commend you for your dedication and your work on this issue and helping people. But there's probably a lot of guys after they uh, hear you speak or you're speaking at an event with them or a group and you become a lifeline. Do you, be, do you feel like uh, some people like Veterans for Peace, uh, some of your guys will become lifelines for some of these servicemen uh, for unofficial counseling, really? So my question mm-hmm. is, 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 is there, what is the aftercare uh, services like in the military are they are they adequate are they not adequate is is that something that's a big problem as well I think, I think it's lip service it's just lip service I don't think they really give a damn there was absolutely no aftercare for any of us when we left uh, the north of Ireland we went straight on to a tour of uh, uh, two year tour of Hong Kong there was nobody to sit us down and talk us through you know, because we're all just wired up. Christ, when we went to Hong Kong, we were tearing up bars and getting drunk and uh, getting into all sorts of scraps with locals and American sailors and all the rest of it because we were so wired up. But we did no aftercare. And nobody sit you down and say, this is how it was. You can't behave like that anymore. You're not, you're not in that war situation. You're not in that dangerous situation anymore. But, you know, it takes... Even to this day, I still have to control the, the aggressive thoughts I get in my head that just flash into my head, you know, and I have to stop and say, change that thought. Whereas many years ago, I used to feed the thought and I used to get uh, really quite aggressive and angry. And <laughs> my, my, I used to say to my ex-wife, why am I getting into so many fights? <laughs> she looked at me and said, because you look like you want one. You know, had that aggressive, menacing look about me. That some people say I've still got that. I, I think I've softened my look a wee bit. But yes, yeah. So there's, a, there's an awful lot of um, things we need to combat. We need to. Guys coming back from situations of Afghanistan and Iraq that are completely wired up need some intensive counselling to help them come to terms with what they've seen, with what they've done, or what may have happened to them. And it's just not there at the minute. And the army will spout on and give it all the hot air in the world about we really care about our ex-service personnel. Do they really? What about the 71 suicide 2018? What about the guys sleeping in shop doorways? What about the guys in prison? Where was their aftercare? Do they care about them? I don't think so, Patrick. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's uh, one, one of the things, uh, like yourself, when I... When I saw Ben Griffin uh, do this uh, speech at the Oxford uh, Debate mm-hmm. Union back in 2013, and in all those issues that I, I'd never even noticed, it was just kind of stuff in the background that you just take for granted. It's just part of the sort of the you know the the mosaic, uh, the background of the whole situation. And when he laid it all out, it, it a lot of stuff became really clear. 
and and then I then I I started thinking about him and about and 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 you could share this with us too, Mike. How would you feel coming back from a theater knowing that it's uh, unpopular in a war or the public is not completely on board with it? And certainly uh, Iraq would come to mind there, uh, but so could Northern Ireland in that sense and many others. How does that affect you psychologically or would affect a, a, a young man psychologically not having that Ooh. support? Well, I, I kept... Um when coming back from a place like uh, Belfast, I would go and leave for a couple of weeks. Now we just get drunk for a couple of weeks, and because coming back to Glasgow, it was a fifty-fifty situation. A lot of them were in favour of Irish republicanism, and a lot of them uh, were in favour of the loyalist situation. So it was a two-way thing. But I think coming back from Afghanistan, when people are aware of. Um, it was all based on lies, like the Vietnam War, the Korean War, any other war you care to mention. For a young guy to come back and feel like he's, he's not been treated with the respect he thinks he deserves because the young ego is so full of it, um, it's, it's going to cause a lot of resentment and a lot of isolation that I've mentioned before. Again, when you leave the military, you have got this somewhat arrogant, puffed-up pride about you. But having spoken to a lot of young veterans that have come back from Iraq, Afghanistan, they, they, they saw it through when they were there. They managed to see through it, uh, you know, and um, they, they come back confused and some of them refused. Joe Glinton, who wrote the, the book Soldier Box, I don't know if you're aware who Joe is. Yes. A journalist. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, he, he saw it when he was there and he refused to go back and he ended up doing time and he had to do a runner to Thailand and all the rest of it. So I think people like Joe and that, they're going to spend a lot of years trying to sort themselves out and try to sort the, the, the madness in their head out, knowing that they were involved in something that was demonstrably wrong, you know, and they wore the uniform of... The, the the army that was doing all the wrong in these countries with no business being in these countries. It's all about plunder. It's nothing to do with democracy and freedom. And these young guys realise that and then come back home. They're going to deal with a lot of moral injury, guilt, um, anger that they were lied to. So they're going to have to run a gambit of years and years and years of contrasting and um, debilitating emotions. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I'm familiar with Joe's work. Um, that's that's something I highly recommend as well. Another another uh, another brave uh, articulate voice uh, on this issue. So, go ahead. Uh, any final thoughts? We're just uh, well. If there, there are guys listening to this show and, and feeling uh, they can grasp what I'm talking about, you know, yeah, please get in touch with Veterans for Peace, or they can go and uh, another guy called Gus Hales who was demonstrating out the combat stress offices a few weeks ago. Gus Hales was in the Paris and he was in... So he, he's trying to campaign to get more done to help former uh, service personnel. So, um, yeah, or even Veterans for Peace, you know. Uh, there'll be a lot of people listening and cursing me for what I'm saying right now because of the, the, they haven't reached that stage of awareness, so it's all quite cognitive dissonance in their part refused to believe they were involved in anything wrong. But eventually the truth will surface and we're going to have a lot of... I mean, how are we going to cope for the next 20, 30, 40 years with all these damaged individuals coming back from the Middle East 
And how much money is it going to cost to uh, to help these guys back to sanity and back to being a civilian? The, the, the cost is going to be enormous. And really, does the British establishment give a damn? I don't think so, Patrick. Well, there's probably quite a few people that agree with you on that score. Anyway, in summation, I just want to say uh, thank you uh, for what you're doing and great organization, Veterans for Peace. And you guys are out there. You're active. You are traveling. Mm-hmm. You're talking to people. And, and it's a very great organization. I encourage people to go. We've got a link uh, on our show page right now. If you click on that, on Mike's name there, it'll take you to their Facebook page as well. You can see what they're doing. If you want to get involved, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really good organization. I've obviously met you, Mike, uh, but other members of your organization as well. And uh, first class guys, I just want to say thanks and uh, also thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, Patrick, and I hope uh, we can meet again soon. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, bud. Take care. There he goes, ladies okay, and gentlemen. Keep, keep banging the drum, brother. Keep banging <laughs> the drum. Thank you. Thanks. Right, bye. There goes Michael Pike, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Pike, known as The Spike. Uh, you can check out him and uh, his work on the links that we provided on the show page. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to connect uh, after the break to our roving correspondent for culture and sport, Basil Valentine, on the other side. We're going to check out what's going on in uh, British politics and also the Israeli elections and other stories after the break. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is The Sunday Wire. Stick around. We'll be right back. Sunday. 